Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do deep dives into companies that are crushing it with a great culture. And then we bring in the resources of other companies that are out there to help improve company culture. So really, when it comes to the the root of it, we're a hub for company culture resources. Today, I have two guests that I am super excited about because this is a little bit unique from what we normally do because I already got the two of them together. Last night, we did a big event with Culture First, the chapter that's here in Phoenix, and we did it at Arizona Wilderness Brewing Company, all about culture, a great group of people. Our two guests today were the speakers yesterday. So it's really fun because even though Bobby is remote and virtual with us today, she was in person yesterday, which is super cool. So real quick, I'm going to introduce our guests, and then I'm going to let each of you kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves too. So we have Bobby Soredich with the Southwest Institute for Emotional Intelligence. Bobby, welcome. Thank you. And then we have, yes. And then we have Craig Foreman, also known as Culture Craig (laughs) with Culture Amp that's here today as well. Yeah, thank you. So I'm so excited to be here. It's so great to, to be together and be with you again, Bobby. So I'm happy to be here. Yay. Bobby, I'm going to let you go first since you're virtual. We're looking at you up on the screen. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and how you got into starting the Southwest Institute for Emotional Intelligence. Yes, I'm the co-founder of the Southwest Institute for Emotional Intelligence, and we do training coaching and speaking uh, and consulting services around helping leaders in our community, as well as a lot of, I would say, enterprise clients, helping them build their emotional intelligence skill sets. And when it comes to emotional intelligence, if you just break it down, it's basically self-awareness, emotional management, and emotional communication with other people. So we look at all of those skill sets and how can you be a better leader. So we look at taking a really, maybe a good leader and making them a great leader. And that's the difference. We believe that as you move up in an organization, you know, you become less transactional and more transformational. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for probably, gosh, on and off for 19 years. I started by doing leadership conferences for years. I I started out doing meeting and incentive planning and went on to work for a leadership network company that we did C-level conferences specific. And I got into doing content for them. And and I went out on my own and started my own speakers agency. It was actually after 9-11. So that's how long ago this was when I started my own speaker agency. And I was representing professional speakers for meetings and events. And there was one speaker, Dr. J.P. Paulu Fry, who was an expert in emotional intelligence. And I got to meet him. I was selling him to my clients. We kept working together. I felt like it was foundational, the key to leadership success. Everybody should know about this. So we 
quickly became friends too. And I went and got certified. It took me a while to, to actually train on my own. I did a year-long coaching program around emotional intelligence. And then, you know, one thing that happened to me personally is I was diagnosed with breast cancer in the end of 2008, going into 2009, which I think we all know that was a pretty tough time for business. That was the housing market crashed. And then I got breast cancer and I was an entrepreneur and it was pretty tough. And I have to say, that's when I I leaned on these emotional intelligence skills the most Mm -hmm. when I found, you know, it was tough. It was tough for me personally and I had to really go back to what are the foundations of what I teach and what we teach here. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is emotional intelligence is needed for all types of leaders. And I I feel like if you haven't been introduced to it in some way, you got to read something, do something, become more self-aware. But that's really how I got started in it. And we've I've loved it. I've, I, I'm very excited about bringing this to more people and actively involved in helping people improve their emotional intelligence skill sets. I love that. And especially bringing it into companies when you have this conversation about culture, right? At the root of culture, a lot of what helps culture and a lot of where culture can break down in a company is that communication level and how you're communicating with each other and how you're communicating with teammates. So I love what you guys are doing. I had the opportunity to watch Bobby speak a handful of months ago at a company, Evolved MD, and it was to a bunch of medical practitioners. I was the oddball in the room, obviously not in the medical field. But afterwards, I was like, "Uh, hey, Bobby, nice to meet you. I need you to come on this podcast and tell everybody about what you're doing. Because it makes so much sense helping provide leaders with those tools to truly help them communicate and connect with their teams, I think is so valuable. So I applaud you for everything you're doing and for doing all of that and going through that too with the time frame of getting breast cancer. That was around the same time my mother got breast cancer as well. So I'm glad that both of you are fighters and doing fantastic today. Yeah, because um, we're way past the mark. Yeah. You know, when you get past that 10 year, you're yep. so wow. like yeah. excited. It's like a relief. So you get it. It <laughs> is. So awesome job and continuing on doing what you're doing. Craig, I'm going to switch over to you now. I want to mm-hmm. hear about you, Culture Amp, how you got into it, and how you are in this place of being. Culture Craig today. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. It's grown. So, I mean, I guess some some backstory with me. I uh, grew up in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, I think a, a big part of my story too is like, you know, parents split when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And when there was a lot of moving around and, you know, I, I really leveraged. I loved people, always loved people. And I think just moving around, kind of honing that skill is a bit of a survival skill. So I think that was, it was kind of in there, but I had to figure out how to go to college. So I went to, I spent four years in the United States Air Force. I was in the military and wrapped up school and got my degree in business and the military brought me to California. So I moved out to California in 2003, you know, got started and started in higher ed um, in the Bay Area. This is post, you know, the first bubble at, at burst. It was kind of kind of quiet from a tech perspective, which is weird to think these days, but always had this fascination around people and workplaces and my experiences in the military, working in restaurants, just having random jobs, jobs out of college. And I was hit with this, you know, I always sat with this, it, it could be better. And it could be better for people, it could be better for organizations. I mean, that always, I just, I was always sitting with that. It didn't make a, a lot of sense to me, you know, 
why organizations would mistreat people. But again, I was building my career, and eventually I decided to get a master's degree and got into organizational psychology because uh, it really just call, called me, and the, and the, the work there called me. Um, Bay Area, and then technology started. I was in higher ed at the time, so technology started to pick up. And I, you know, I got into, to, uh, I started with an ed tech company back in 2011, 2012, and quickly moved that to move into HR tech. So I kind of came up through HR technology, but always really holding on to this, this, this fundamental, you know, like how can we change organizations? So I worked for a company called Achievers, looking at recognition rewards, eventually ended up at uh, LinkedIn for a year on contract, working on uh, referral stuff. And then about five and a half years ago, I got introduced to this company, Culture Amp. At the time, it was about 150 people. It was just starting to make big moves in the States and also in Europe. And we're an Australian-based organization that was an employee listing platform at the time. Now we're an employee experience platform. Um, and I just really, really felt connected to the values and what they stood for um, and the tools they were bringing to organizations. And of course, like any company, I mean, it's, it sounds good, but I, you know, proof is in the pudding. And I can say over the years, just being able to represent that has been, it's, it's really held over the years of a company that believes in something. So... I started on our people science team. So uh, I'm currently, I'm still a lead people scientist at Culture Amp. And in the beginning, I worked with our clients, helping them use our tools to, to both like listen at scale and how to take information and measure culture and turn that into data and information to inform leaders and, you know, that so we can make, we can make culture, uh, you know, a real a conversation, but put some metrics to it, you know, mm -hmm. and it's been really, that's really powerful. We've moved into since performance management. We also work on employee development. So we've made real strides. And then my journey was I worked with clients, but I was so excited to be in the space and so excited to be with this and this growing company. So I had the opportunity to start to go to events. You know, at first I just started going to events and bringing my phone and shooting little videos. And this is probably the beginning of Culture Craig and, you know, finding my way onto panels and conversations and putting myself out there and then Culture Amp was growing and we decided to start putting together events. So we started building these large global events. In 2018, we launched Culture First Global. Um, we had about 1,200 people in San Francisco. And then we did it again in 2019 and we had close to 2,000 people. So I had found my way moving all the way from a customer role into this marketing role, helping build our events, working with speakers. And, you know, how do we amplify these stories? How do we bring these things to life? And how do we inspire, you know, more people to, to, to drive change and make this case in the organizations and and then the third, I'd say the third stage is kind of important. And part of what brought me here to Phoenix was that we were bringing people together. Like something we did really well. We were putting on events. We were hosting conversations. There was so much energy in the world. I was finding so many people are inspired by this as well. Um, so we decided to like, how do we go further with this idea of community, you know, after building all these events? So in 2019, we brought a team together and said, how can we evolve our community strategy? And one of the big components was what if we... Um, inspire people around the globe to create their own chapters, to bring people together. And the idea was, let's create the world's largest community of people who believe a better world of work is possible. It was going to be in person. It was late 2019. We launched with five or six chapters, uh, a few in Australia, a few in the States or North America. Then COVID hit and it was really powerful, but we decided, let's just retool this. And as much as we weren't so excited about going virtual with this thing we decided to do in person, we decided like, well, let's put that aside. Let's do the best possible virtual human focused events we can and in retrospect, people really responded because they were well thought through, well done people. And when people mm -hmm. needed connection, they were finding it and they're finding it among other people that are inspired about this idea of workplace transformation. And then fast forward, most of COVID was really a lot of work on building community and in the world. And we have close to 100 chapters globally now. We ran 200 organic events last year, like just the fact showing up here in Phoenix and having 60 people, it felt like last night, mm -hmm. come out. It's just, I, there's, I just pinched myself. I can't believe, you know, I, I, I too watch and like, wow. Been at that, working really hard now also to to bring, you know, our events back to life in person with Culture Amp. So we're doing that again. We've been building virtual online 
Um, I think we had just 20,000 registrants at our last virtual conference. So, so now we're doing a mix of virtual and in-person. So I've been, I've been, have the opportunity to start, I've been traveling the globe a bit and putting on like events with Culture Amp as well to bring people together, both organizationally and just anybody who believes a better world of work as possible. So it's a lot of information. I'll stop there, but that's my story. Yeah, but it's, it's good stuff. And I love how you guys started and had this <laughs> very in-person epic plan. And then three months later, everything changes. But you still have traction with people because, like you said, people are inspired by this. And I think that timeline of COVID and, and pushing it virtual and now being in person has helped companies like Culture Amp, the chapters of Culture First. I think that's what gave some traction to Culture Crush because you took people from being in person, connecting, right? That's easier to kind of form a, a culture. And then you sent everybody home and you were like, hey, let's look at each other through this little screen. And now I get to see your whole life and your children and your dogs and your cats in the background. But this is where people got more involved in that conversation of culture. And I think that's where this traction, it's kind of a, a bad thing. It sucked with COVID and everything. But the positive piece that's come out of it is truly people are getting more into this conversation of culture and what is culture and how do we improve culture and how do we connect people. Um, Craig and I were even just talking on the ride over here about appreciation, showing appreciation for your employees, right? You can do that virtual or in person, but what do all those pieces look like? So the the timeline is, is tricky for you guys, but now you're doing these events with did you say 20,000? Our virtual. We were in a virtual conference, yeah. Okay. And then even like you said last night, we had about 55 people that showed up in person. Really, there were only about 10 people that didn't show up that were registered. That's so amazing. That's huge right there. So being able to do these events virtual, in person, it's, it's neat for me to see this conversation of culture happening. So with all of that being said... As we dive into this conversation, and we are live right now, so people can shoot in questions as well that we'll kind of attack at the end. But it is very much a coffee chat conversation with the two of you. The only question that I really stick with is I start the conversation off with, what is culture, right? How do we define culture? Can we define culture? Really, what is it? So I'm going to throw that out there to either one of you. And that's what we'll kind of start with. And then our conversation can go in any direction we want it to. Well, culture, Craig, you've got to answer oh. that first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you've got it in your title. Well, yeah, if, if, if you have this title, you have to be prepared with that, I, with that yeah, question. I feel like no, I'm valid. And I'm so happy you asked that question because so many times I get, there's conversations get going and you realize everybody's talking about culture without ever stopping to define this thing. I mean, what is culture? Mm -hmm. What is it's like? What is love? What is culture? These are these are mm -hmm. these are terms that are trying to embrace something that's very big and very difficult. And again, I don't know that I'm gonna share. I'll share my thoughts and definition. I just I think it's important. So if you talk to me, you know where I'm coming from. But I also appreciate that different people have different perspectives. I think about it. Uh, there's kind of like, like these two. I think there's this big consent, this big circle when I think of culture, and, and and that is, and I love this definition of the way we do things around here. Period. End of story. The reason I say it that way is because I think it's really important that that's you going to the grocery store, that's you at your family, that's you at a party with your friends, that's you on the bus, that's you, you know, and I think as humans, it's amazing if you think about it, that we move in and out of these, these, these cultures, the way we do things. And we know intuitively, we can read and pick up what are the, what's okay, what's not, most people can. 
And I think that's just really important to think about like what's happening behind the scenes for all of us and how we read an environment and what's happening, what are the norms, what are the values. However, I'm saying it like that because I think there's another circle that's a smaller circle inside of that, which is organizational culture. Mm. And it is different. And to me, uh, you know, our, our CEO, Didier Elzinga, often says your brand is your promise to your customers. Like this thing that you're putting out into the world as an organization and your culture is how you deliver on that. And I say that because as an organization, it's, it's unique and different. There's, there is a relationship to some external world to like what we're providing to the world, what we're bringing to the world, and we're trying to get disparate people to come together, get aligned around that and bring that to life. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't exist, if it doesn't work, if we're not successful, it disbands and we move on and we do different things. That's not the same in your family. That's not the same among your friends. It's not the same. And so I think it's really important to, to differentiate those two of what we're talking about. And then the next layer then is like how then how do we create an organizational culture where people are aligned? How do you take these people with different values, their own set of values and backgrounds and come together and get aligned and then, you know, all aligned to help this organization move forward to achieve its goal to stay alive or or disappear. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how I define culture, but I also love to break those two down because I think they're really important to share the distinction. And I like that in your explanation of culture, you connect it to the brand and the company um, because you do have that promise to the outside people, right? Your customers. And then what are you doing with your inside people too? So I like that connection. Bobby, what about you? What would you add, change? All yeah, time? I'll just add on to that. I I think from an organizational culture standpoint uh, that it's really your your beliefs. I mean, I, I think as a community, we we share whether that's your work community or your neighborhood community or your friend community or your family. I think we, we share beliefs that are, that we're trying to live within. And it's, Mm. it's kind of how we show up for ourselves and how we show up for others. And that's part of a good culture. And from an organizational standpoint, or really from a personal, uh, I do more work around organizational. And I agree that it's, it's happening whether you're intentional or not. Mm-hmm. So you have a culture, whether you want to define <laughs> it or not. And so you might as well start to put some beliefs around it, what you, what you want to stand for, how you want people to behave, how you want them to show up. And then, you know, show up that way, act that way, hold yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be created whether you, you do it or not. It's happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> your culture. Can I, I'd like to add, before we move on, one additional thing I think is really important, and that is, I mean, I ask anybody that's listening, you know, when you hear that word culture, especially in this context on a, a podcast, you know, does your mind automatically go to all the cliche stuff that people associate with mm. culture, the kegs or the this or the food <laughs> or the ping pong tables and all those things? And I yeah. think it's really important to say, like, we've been conditioned to think that way to me and kind of what Bobby's sitting on, that culture is that alignment and how do we do things to achieve the mission? And like, I'm so happy like having experiences like the military. Like I think about the 82nd Airborne that can have 70,000 people anywhere in the world in 24 hours. I mean, that's what, that's what they're tasked with. Think about the culture it takes to do that. Like in that scenario, command and control is probably really important. In that mm-hmm. scenario, slow changes and everything being very methodical and training regularly is important versus oftentimes we're talking about tech companies. We're talking about, uh, you know, services. So I think it's really important. It's it goes back to that idea of it's let go of it. it's a good, is it bad? It's what is the right culture to achieve the purpose of that organization? And they're different, you know. There's a culture in prison. There's a culture in the military. There's a culture mm-hmm. in, and I think 
when when companies get get conditioned to start to just try to follow what else some other company did, or what, they lose sight of like there's a piece that we can be inspired by others, but we have to build like really do an assessment of what is this organization of people trying to achieve, and build the right culture to achieve that. And sometimes it it, it is some of those things that don't always sound as great as we, that we'd like to see in most of our workplaces. So just, I like to take, take that idea away of this like soft, fuzzy, warm culture is just this, you know, culture, like Bobby said, just is. Mm-hmm. We can be intentional, but in organizations, how do we align that to achieve the objectives? And I'm glad that you say how it's different in, in different industries and different spaces too, right? Prison, military, the school system, construction, they're all going to have their direction of culture but what they do within their company culture, what they allow, what's the day-to-day is going to be unique to them. And Bobby, to your point, there's going to be a culture. There's a company that I'm working with right now, and the CEO is absolutely fantastic. And in one of our initial meetings, she said, I know we need to you know, define and work on culture. She said, we don't have a culture right now. And I said, Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) You just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So let's really get in there and see what it is. And if it's great, let's make it better. If it needs some help, let's improve on it. But it was, I just, I giggled because I was like, you you have a culture. It's there. But what are the pieces that are going to influence and build it? And with the military side, Craig, I love that you have a military background. And now you're in a culture space. I have worked with veterans for a long time. I worked with Wounded Warrior Project for a while. The training that you get in the military, some of the steps that influence that culture, right? Like you said, with command and control, with the steps of even just passing on information, right? There's very much a hierarchy. The communication is going to get to everyone because you're very strategic. So I love that background that you now bring into the culture space. Are there any other pieces of that background that you think have influenced or that you use when you're working with a team or working with your leadership? Like, are there other little pieces that you've picked up from being in the military and that culture to this? I think it just goes to the to the bigger pot. I don't know. It goes back to my point. Like, if I went into an organization and tried to say, well, I mean, it may come up organically, but I think it's also letting go of that when I work with an organization mm-hmm. so I can just be fully... It's, it's the idea of what I learned and saw in that. And that mm-hmm. being accepting of different types of cultures, not judging one over another. It's about what they're trying to achieve. Now, I also want to say there's like, I think there's shadow and light sides to all of these. Like you can see some bad stuff come of that command and control and that hierarchy, but you can also see bad stuff if we've seen come of these like, hey, we're all so happy and everybody's great here and let's just party. And, you know, and like, so we've seen, we've seen how they they can all, all cultures can have, we have to keep an eye on the shadow side of it and the, and the, and the, and the light side of it or the, you know, the positivity side. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm, but I'm just as influenced by working in summer camps as a young kid and like, early on going, what's this about? Like these people come together. It's like, there's so much community and like, we're working hard, but we're playing hard. And, and then I'd leave this after the summer and go to like a restaurant job where people are just being like, not treated well. So, I mean, I think I pull a lot on that and I pull on also some of my, and to anybody out there, you know, like I think most people can nod their heads and say they've had really bad work experiences. I've had some really, really bad ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really grateful now looking back, I see how they fit in, but I pull on those just as much too, because when I'm working with an organization and thinking about this work I'm trying to do, I, I think back to like, when, when I pretty much cracked, at, at, you know, and really had to redefine my whole self, you know, after like chasing the wrong thing and, and being in a really bad toxic environment, 
So I don't know that I pull in anyone at any time. I think they all swim around for me. And I just mm-hmm. like love to be in the moment with organizations and help hear and think and pull what I need. But they've all, they've all influenced me. And I'm really grateful that, you know, to anybody that's building a career. I mean, I was 40 years in before I think it all got locked in. I, was, mm-hmm. I too was like, where's this career going? And is this the right place? And can I make money doing this? Um, and I look back now and, I, and everything kind of makes sense. But I had to go through that. And I had to get kind of beat up a bit so I can be good at, you know, I think what I do now because... We have to see both sides of it and the impact and, and the harm that bad cultures can can cause. So, but Bobby, I want to I hear from you on this. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you on that. That it's it's kind of that your your past experience. I I think though we can all rally around something, and you know, I encourage leaders I work with as you're trying to define your culture, just like what both of you have said here that that create something that connects to you and your people. And then all your past experiences make you who you are today. And that also gives you so much more empathy from an EI standpoint Mm -hmm. and that ability to connect with other people and have real conversations and give your feedback and then kind of look at where are they coming from? You know, what was their journey that got them here and how does that impact our culture? or How does that impact our people? So I think even, you know, looking at from that standpoint, and a big thing for for my organization and for me, and and it's part of my book that I wrote, it's called Courage Does Not Always Roar. But Craig, I heard you say one of your, I think it's one of the values was having the courage. Um, And I think part of the culture that I'm trying to create and what I instill in some of, especially the the leaders that I, I coach or train is, just having that courage to have a difficult conversation or a healthy conflict or to disagree and then commit together to what your team and what you've committed to as your bigger goals. But having that courage to to step out and define what you want your culture to look like, hold people accountable to it, hold yourself, all of that. that, For me, that one word courage really it takes that that concept and puts it together for me and i i when i heard you say that you're doing things globally but your values have to be something that translates to other cultures i think that is a word that crosses over and people understand what is that they understand how that shows up for them to to put themselves out of their comfort zone and even going back to creating the culture that you want you have to have the courage really to admit your mistakes and also to say, you know, to someone else, I, I think there's something better there that we can, we can hold ourselves and we can do something better to create this culture. But it's not, it's not that you just set it on paper and then you, it just takes off and everyone lines up and starts behaving that way. It goes up and down and you have, you have challenges along the way, but what brings you back to your foundation and your core? Yeah. And and the value itself, I mean, culture only has four values, which I really love that we push ourselves to have few. Yeah. Um, it's the courage to be vulnerable. And when we built the community and we knew we wanted to build something globally, there was a lot of I mean, a lot of conversation of like, well, how do you do that? And instead of being prescriptive, we decided to come up with these five core principles that are unique to the, our community, but only one crossed over, and that was courage to be vulnerable. And Bobby, I'll go, you know, a step further too. I think what you just said about that across the board, but particularly as we're doing work with diversity, equity, inclusion, if people aren't willing to get vulnerable and be honest and say, I've been part of the problem, I've messed up, how can you know, look, 
you know, we, we're never going to make, make strides, especially the people that have the, the least to lose in the, in the equation, you know? So I think that's one of these spots that if we're really going to put our money where our mouth is and make movement. You have to be ready to be vulnerable. And like, I mean, I'm just, again, really grateful. I've been exposed to some great companies where we had four white brunette founders, they'll say, you know, in Australia and, they don't shy from that, but every day they, I mean, they talk about it at our big events and how have we, how do we used to unpack that every day since, you know, and that, you know, here we are, but like, and that takes courage to be vulnerable, to stand on stage and own that and mm-hmm. say, we have to do better. We have to do better. Um, so it's just that encouragement. And to your point, I think vulnerability, your team sees it as courageous. I mean, who doesn't want to see a leader that's cur- courageous? And I think vulnerability is probably one of the biggest displays of courage. So uh, I'm happy you hit on that. And I think it's it's both ways, though. It's the courage from the team, right? It's everybody as a whole. It's the courage from the team, from all the employees, and then the courage of the leadership, too. It's got to be both. Those leaders to admit, like you said, we don't know what we're doing. We're figuring it out. Even yesterday when we were at Arizona Wilderness Brewing Company, um, we had Jonathan Buford, who's the, the owner, one of the co-owners, and having him say how in the very beginning when he, they started the company— it was two brewers, right? And they're like, uh. And they knew that they wanted to develop and grow and have a secure and a beautiful culture. But they also knew they were two dudes that didn't know how to necessarily put all the pieces together. And so they hired a VP of people and culture, Johanna, who's fabulous. Jonathan will say over and over again, like, She's the one who's opened their eyes to a lot of this stuff. So you have to have the courage to be open, admit that sometimes you don't know what's going on. And then on the flip side too, I think admitting, okay, well, maybe we screwed that up. Let's let's fix it. And then like I said, the, the staff itself, the employees, the team, being able to have the courage sometimes to speak up to leadership. I think that goes into the space of, Bobby, where you are, the emotional intelligence. How do you have those conversations? Then it goes into psychological safety at work. We've talked a lot about that on this podcast, giving people that open space. So that that courage word, it's one word, but man, it means so much in so many different areas. Bobby, in your space with working with emotional intelligence, do you get to see kind of inside these companies a little bit more to really see how it's affecting and how the teams are working together. And like I mentioned, with psychological safety and being open with each other, do you kind of get a glimpse into these companies and how what you're doing is affecting them and growing them? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, we get and we get a behind-the-curtain view <laughs> for sure. And you know, I talk about, um, we all have different personality assessments, but uh, recently I've, I've done the, the Working Genius, the Patrick Lencioni's group has mm-hmm. that one, and Discerner is one of my Working Genius. So I think that going in, you, you quickly start to look at and discern, you know, what, how, how do I read the room? How, mm-hmm. how do I how do I create a container of safety with a leader or someone to have the right conversation to help them see what's going on in their culture or what's going on in their leadership style that's having a, what's, what's great, what's having the positive impact and what, what's not so great about some of the things that they're doing. So 
And for us, it's creating some tools so people can self-soothe and calm themselves down. We have one tool called Stop, Breathe, Ask. And the whole concept of it is before you approach and do something you regret, you know, you mm-hmm. have to pause and make sure you're in the, the space, even if you have to take a, a few breaths. Mm-hmm. And that's intentional to bring oxygen back up to your thinking brain because we know when you're emotionally triggered or nervous or have anxiety, you're breathing shallow, your oxygen is going south. So there's a real physiological change. Mm-hmm. And um, you end up doing something you might regret or saying something you might regret. And then later you're time. like, oh, I have a couple what? emails in my past that I wish I could take back. <laughs> yeah, I have some moments. Even for me, like I wrote this down, like I am from Kansas City. So I was watching the Chiefs play Cincinnati on Sunday. Yeah. But did you guys watch the game by uh-huh. chance? I was, I, I was more involved in the San Francisco game, sadly. Oh. Um, so Daryl's <laughs> nodding, though. Our producer's okay, nodding. Well, even the San Francisco game. I mean, they didn't show up their best. Aww. But um, <laughs> but what happens in that moment? Like when that fight broke out, like what? Just They just had lost it at that point. You know, it didn't matter. I don't think they could go back and go, ooh, I'm sure when they watch themselves on film, they're like, how did that all go down? It just was so fast. Emotions took over. Mm-hmm. We ended up doing something we regretted later on both sides, mm-hmm. I think. But the same thing happened in the Kansas City game. There was a defensive end, uh, you know, basically had a, a really bad penalty uh, against the quarterback, against Patrick Mahomes it kind of cost him the game. <laughs> and I'm sure he replays this moment mm. over and over again. Like, how did I lose it in that moment? But that shows up for people, the leaders that I work with, I see that in them. And then you quickly can go into working with these leaders and executives and define you know, some real qualities about their style, about it, how it impacts they're modeling the way people are watching what they're doing more than they're listening to what they're saying. And you can even, you know, I can look at a, a team or a culture and, and even working with them in a short time and say, hey, what I noticed is that people are open to healthy conflict here or people are, are not open to healthy conflict here. <laughs> You're in a need to know basis and I'll tell you when you need to know. <laughs> That's our culture. So you kind of, you say, well, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know? Do you want to keep that up or or maybe change this and be open, be vulnerable, hear from more people? So, so yeah, I definitely get the behind the scenes, but it's also for me and the other trainers and coaches I work with, we have to create a container of safety and be able to read people mm-hmm. and connect, connect with them in order to have any kind of real conversations around their culture or leadership style. Can I ask Bobby a question? You can ask anyone, any question. Okay, Bobby, this is something, this is a topic too that I've I've thought a lot about and just kind of this idea of like, you know, healthy masculinity in the world and how men show up in the workplace. So I'm just so curious given your work and you specifically focus on emotional intelligence. And I get to know this is generalization, but just a high level take on kind of like your thoughts around emotional intelligence and working kind of the, what you're seeing between the work you do with women and particularly the work with men and emotional intelligence? Well, I mean, there's something, I do see trends. Uh, there's a couple things I can answer that question with. We do an EI 360 assessment. So when you you take an assessment on your 
core competencies of emotional intelligence, you rate yourself and then you have everyone else rate you, your clients, your manager, your direct reports, peers, customers. So when we look at those, like thousands of them we've done, from a male-female perspective, we find that males tend to overrate themselves on those. So from a self-awareness perspective, (laughs) they have a... A high sense of self and women tend to underrate and being a woman leader, I'm, I'm like, well, how come you can't own your strengths? What's up with that? <laughs> and women tend to lean heavier on a heart of empathy and not to generalize, not all of them, because mm-hmm. some have a real strong edge of accountability. But one other trend, trend that I'm seeing is we have an online program we launched just like a year and a half ago. And we do a video practice and we actually bring in improv actors. So we teach skill sets of communication around emotional intelligence. And then part of the last assignment is you have to go in with an improv actor that we set up as your employee. This is someone that reports to you, you manage them. Here are the three things, like this is a person that is great at sales, awesome off the charts, but nobody likes to work with this person. (laughs) Bully, just bad attitude. So we go and record those conversations of how they handle performance feedback. And what I noticed some trends are females on average have taken longer to get to a constructive feedback conversation than the males. And this is, I've watched hundreds, like 120 of these videos now. (laughs) And And there's actually a sweet spot on having a constructive dialogue. It's about you shouldn't really go past 18 minutes. It's about 15 to 18 minutes is the effective mm-hmm. time frame. If you go beyond that, people, you're getting too soft. People aren't sure where they landed. They're getting confused. And if you, I, I see a lot of males take about eight minutes or not, and they're like, okay, we're good. You're good. You understand? <laughs> you're going to be better then, right? And the person hasn't bought in. So, mm. I mean, those are some interesting things that I see in male and females. But as far as, Overall, we look leaders, not just from a male-female perspective, but we ask them to look at, do you tend to approach more with a heart of empathy and understanding, or do you first approach with an edge of accountability? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of work from that. Some people say, oh, I don't know. I go, well, ask anybody that works with you, and they'll probably tell you mm-hmm. which is your natural go-to. That I don't know if that answers your question on some of the. Uh, things it's such we're a big question. It's such a big question, and you just and I think it's just this deeper. I love seeing anybody do that sort of work, but I do have this deep belief that I want to see more men in the world do this work. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the, the clear impact and influence and power at scale, just to see that balance. So that's why I was just curious in the messaging and, and. Yeah, and we've worked with a lot of. Um, we've worked with some professional teams too. I mean, we did some work with the NHL. Nice. Um, we've done work with the NBA. Um, I I have to say that that male-oriented, you know, you think of high physical male-oriented groups uh, definitely are seeking this out as well. How can you, and we've worked with police departments. I think that's another that's area mm-hmm. that really, how can they diffuse a challenging situation? And it is life or death. And then a lot of hospital groups, a lot of nursing and physician doctors. I mean, it's been rough. We have a lot of healthcare clients that we work with. And I think on male and female side, a lot of them are going through the same stress and anxiety. And sometimes 
Craig, I guess that's it. It's when, when someone hits their point of, okay, I need some tools. I need mm-hmm. some help. The way I'm working ain't working now. How can, I think that's when they come to being open to it. You yeah. know, whether that's a male or a female in their, in their journey of life, something hits them. Maybe they don't, they're not getting that promotion. Maybe they're mm-hmm. not as successful as they thought they would be. And then all of a sudden they're open to what can I do better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. What do you, do you have anything that you would suggest when people are starting to get to that point of, okay, what can I do better? I know that you gave us the stop, breathe, ask as a, a nice little tip. Is there anything else that you could suggest or a little tidbit that you could provide to our listeners? I know that's a lot to put into like a moment. You have like a whole six-week program and now I'm asking you to like, (laughs) okay, give us the tidbit of our takeaway in one minute. But is there anything else that you would add to share to say, okay, when you get to this point, here's some steps that you could take. Yeah, I think when you get to that point, just be real mm-hmm. is number one. <laughs> be authentic with yourself and and look for someone. There's lots of organizations, there's coaches, there's other people that can help you. I mentioned this last night, like there are a couple other communication tools and self-awareness tools that I think are valuable and foundational to emotional intelligence. And one that kind of have, I always use this in my executive coaching. I use it in our training. All of our coaches and trainers use use it. I use it personally is that intention versus impact Mm -hmm. that we judge ourselves based on our good intention and we judge others based Mm -hmm. on their impact. So people are judging us on our behaviors, our impact, not our good intentions. They don't know them. And so I say love human beings, not human doings. Oh, I love (laughs) that. Yeah. Love human beings, not human doings. And so if someone does something to you or triggers you or pisses you off or, (laughs) you know, it's, it's up to you to ask, you know, that's the stop, breathe, ask. Mm -hmm. Hey, when you said that, what was your intention? You know, how I wanted to understand because here's the impact it had on me or here's the impact it had on the team. And Mm -hmm. I think anything like that intention versus impact is such a powerful, basic tool anybody can use. And if you're going through a challenging time or you're becoming more self-aware, that's a time to ask someone, what could I do better? And, and if you're in an organization, you have a manager or leader, mm-hmm. ask them, you know, is there somewhere I could get coaching? Can you help me? Can you be a mentor? Is there a mentoring program do we have here? Courage to be vulnerable. You know, yep. Yeah. Be vulnerable. This was my intention. I want to be this. How come I'm not seen that way? <laughs> How yeah. come I've struggled with my boss over and over and over in every place I go? <laughs> maybe it's time, you know, maybe it's time to start looking like what, maybe I'm, maybe something happening here. Yeah, looking internal yeah. for sure. I love yeah. that. Thank you. I appreciate that as kind of a, a little bit of a, a tidbit, a takeaway. We are reaching our point of, not point of no return, <laughs> our point of, we passed that uh, I know, <laughs> our point of wrapping up in a moment. Bobby, I I want to highlight you real fast before we have to let you hop off. I want to know how can people reach you? You're talking about all of these amazing tools and resources and things that you guys can do. So I want them to know how they can find you. So how can they reach you? And then also, is there anything coming up that you guys have going on that you want to highlight or anything like that before we let you go? 
Yes. Well, first of all, you have our website is swiei.com. So it has lots of resources. And Kendra, you have a copy of our competency cards. Yes. We have those. So it, that's something that anybody can purchase online. They're foundational. They go through the core competencies of emotional intelligence. And we call them coaching cards because they give you a definition of optimism, mm -hmm. resiliency, of communication skills, self-awareness, emotional self-awareness. And then it gives you tools on how to improve those. Mm -hmm. So that's a basic thing. And then on May 1st, we have another public six-week online leadership program starting May 1st. And you can register or sign up for our online course on our website. We love that course. That's the one where we bring in improv actors. So you learn the tools of emotional intelligence, and then you have to really demonstrate or exhibit that you know how to practice them. And mm -hmm. these improv actors are hilarious. They, they really take you off guard. Uh, so May 1st is that. And then you can reach me at my email. It's on the website, my bio background, lots of video messages. But um, we're also on social. We're always sending stuff out on Instagram or on Facebook. So the Southwest Institute for Emotional Intelligence, it's all linked to our website there. If you check that out, you'll be able to find us pretty easily. Awesome. And those competency cards, they help at home too, just saying. <laughs> um, so they work in all aspects with friends, family, in the workplace. Just throwing it out there. Um, yeah, they're they're great. People love them. And we have some of our clients just buy like a set of like 500 and they do little exercises on their own with them. I mean, they're really practical. Mm -hmm. And they're great for if you're doing a performance review with someone that it, it's a soft skill set. So what would you like to improve? You can lay them out and ask someone, mm -hmm. you know, I want to improve my empathy skills. What can I do? And nice. it gives you a how-to, <laughs> more or less. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you. And thank you for letting us know how we can reach you and how folks can connect with you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Yes, it was a pleasure thank meeting you, you Craig. Yeah, and we'll, be, you we'll stay in touch. And yes. I know. And I'm excited. I'm, I looked at your website, Craig. I'm going to do a demo too. Yeah. I, I really want to see how your tools work. It, so it's I'm, it's really wait. cool. And they're really, I'm, I'm, I just, I mean, it's uh, you know, clearly I work for that company, but I look forward to you seeing it and understanding how we are not just building a tool, but building it on a philosophy for an organization, how to, to build, you know, th these assessments and do this at scale. Like how, how does an organization listen at scale, you know, which is really important. So I look forward to you seeing it and let me know afterwards. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'll reach out to you and connect on that because yeah. I'm I'm I looked at it last night after I left and I said I got to do this. So I told my other operations person, I'm like, we we should all go on this and try it out. This nice. is great. Nice. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you letting me be a part of this. And hey, keep doing what you're doing. It's it's awesome stuff. I really appreciate you just being dedicated to this, being passionate, and the community you're growing. Wow, it's. Impressive, both of you. <laughs> Thank you. We're all in that in the same boat, right? We're trying yeah. to make it so people want to go to work on a Monday morning and be excited about the culture that's there. So, thank you, yeah. Bobby. Okay, heading Bye. to another training. Yes. So. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We're gonna let Bobby pop off, and then Craig, I want you to do the same thing. Tell us about 
you, how they can connect with you, find you. And then what we're going to do, we're actually going to stay on for a few moments. Usually, if anyone has questions when we go live, they pop in at the end. Okay. So we'll hang tight for a few Do we have moments. listeners live? Do we have some on there? I don't see questions. So. Like, please do. I love I love taking questions that's and it makes we'll, it more engaging. So if you're listening. Yeah. So we'll hang tight. But in the meantime, I want you to do the same thing. Tell us what's happening. If there's upcoming virtual events that people can be part of the two the 20,000 attendees yeah. um, and then yeah. how they can reach you and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I think there's, I'll just go, there's, there's three, three tiers I'll say. I mean, first go to, you know, coltramp.com. There's so much on there. I always love to, we've always leaned into sharing information. So the blog posts, the articles, we're very, we're open and transparent. We do a lot of research. So if you're interested in this space, if you're interested in culture, go to the website. If it's simply just, just to learn more. I mean, clearly if you want to learn about our tools, that'd be amazing as well. But also there's a community tab there. And you can see all kinds of upcoming events. So there are all kinds of events happening. We put them on as an organization. We do things called Geek Ups. So there won't be one in your area. We do... Yeah, we and then our, you know, also you can find out more through our community, all the community events. A lot of those are virtual or going to be local. So you can see those there. Um, and you'll also probably see we have... Our next big virtual event is, is designed for EMEA for Europe. Uh, but however, if you're on the East Coast, it, it might be a little more time-friendly. That's coming up in March, and that's going to be pretty amazing. We have uh, Edward Enfall, who is the um, editor-in-chief of the British British Vogue. We have a woman named Steffi. I'm, her last name's uh, losing me now, but she is a three-time world champion soccer player who did a lot around, you know, uh, female and uh, gender equity in that space. And then we just announced, although it might not be public yet, but I'm going to say it. If you're listening, <laughs> you get it first. Uh, Esther Perel will be with us as well. Oh, cool. So that's that's really exciting. We've done some work with her in the past. She's mind-blowing. Um, so you can, you know, you can register there and sign up and, and be part of that come March John Blank, uh, the third okay. week of March. Cool. And then the, so, and so, and then also, um, like I said, the communities thing, you might be listening and like part of this idea of building communities is I think that so many people are inspired by this topic that are interested. I mean, it's, it's when you say organizational culture, everybody has something to say, but people typically feel very alone around that as well, even professionals. So the community is the idea is that we're building local communities where people can come together in person or put on virtual events. So you, you can take a look if there's chapters at culturefirst.com or it can link through our website, you know, under the community tab and cultureamp.com to learn more, see what events are going. But also, if you don't see a chapter in your location and you're inspired, you can reach out. Like, we've built a... We we know how to help you set one up. So if you want to be a local kind of thought leader or somebody's bringing people together in your... You know, do that. And then finally, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. I love to stay connected. I think LinkedIn's such a powerful tool for networking community. You know, if we're connected there, we can have a direct, you know, line of access. Um, I also post a lot on LinkedIn and I do a little bit, you know, you'll see, you know, Twitter at Culture Craig and same with Instagram, but LinkedIn is, is, is a, is a place to so please like connect with me there. Let me know, let me know you heard this podcast, you know, yeah. on your, on your, on your, uh, request, but that, that would be the third tier if you want to stay connected to, to what I'm thinking about or what's going on. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, right now you actually mentioned, um, as you were kind of giving your debrief, you mentioned people kind of feeling alone and trying to be part of this culture space and what that looks like. So very interesting because the question I have for you is kind of along those lines. As an employee, what is the best way to promote good culture when it's not supported by an organization? That question comes up so often. I mean, it's such a standard question. And I think most of us, look, I think if you're somebody in an organization that's committed to transforming or changing, I think the first is this acceptance that even decent cultures, like there's a natural resistance. Like typically mm-hmm. people that do the work that we do, 
you know, most people in the organization are not there tasked with building culture. They're there to do sales. They're there to do marketing. They're there to do finance. They're there to do operations. Mm-hmm. So as much as people get interested in this topic, the, the energy it takes to change is really difficult. And I think that's part of the reason oftentimes why people in this space feel alone because most companies don't, you know, most people don't work at a company called Culture Amp, full of people that talk about culture <laughs> all day long. So they feel alone because the company's tooled to do something different and they're being asked to do that. And even if they're even relatively supported by their leadership, the true change and work to change behavior is really hard. It can beat you down in that energy to resist and push back. So the first thing I say is find, I mean, this isn't just a plug for our community. Any community, mm-hmm. the idea that you're going to find your tribe or your people inside the organization is probably not realistic because the organizations that's not what it's there to do day to day, even though you're tasked with that. So where do you get supported and not feel, you know, where do you recharge your energy? Where can you get with other people that you can share those stories with? And um, I think that's really important. I think the other thing that I've learned around, I use this analogy, I shared it with people last night and they thought it was pretty powerful, so I'll use it here. And that is, I think people like us doing this work, we're like out in the deep end and we're swimming around like, it's so good. And like, I love vulnerability. And like, come on, it's warm and it's wonderful and we're all connected. And there's people on the shore that are like, what? And we're like, come out, get out, get out here. And the truth is nobody wants to go from the shore to the deep end if you don't want to swim. So I think for those of us, our job is how do you go back to the shore Mm -hmm. and walk those people in slowly? And invite them in. And also, I mean, my my CEO said this to me oftentimes we're building a community, like don't focus on what's not working. Like don't, sometimes we get fixated Mm -hmm. on those that don't want to come along and we miss all the people that are interested or curious. So it's kind of, it's like build this thing. It's super attractive. People Mm -hmm. like, people want to feel seen, connected. People crave a healthy culture. It's what we do when we don't feel safe and we do those bad behaviors. So I would just say like, you know, think globally, act locally. Like how can you identify those people that are, are, that do want this? How do you support them? How do you create it in your own team? And, you know, and like build out because people, people want to be on that team. People want to be part of that. And slowly over time, you can transform a culture, but the idea that you're going to walk in one day with a policy or it's just, it's not going to work that way. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's, it's, it's tough work. So find your support group. It's typically going to be outside of your organization and then just always, you know, find those people that want to support this effort, that are interested in how do you educate and inspire and, and create community among them and just keep building it and grow it out versus trying to go beat people over the head and say, come do this. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's great. And then if they are listening and they're like, okay, but what's that first thing, right? We find this tribe outside, whether it's Culture Amp and the Culture First chapters, whether it's Culture Crush, whatever it is, right? They find these people that have these these conversations of getting into the water, right? Coming out into the warm water. But then they go back to that workplace and they're trying to make those tiny little shifts and changes. Do you have any advice on internally what they now do with those little bits? So I think that this goes back to tools like CultureAmp. And that mm-hmm. is, that is data is really critical. And I think it's been one of the missing yeah. components because if you just show up and you're telling people why they're doing it wrong or why it's not working, lots of stories are going to come up about, well, you know, why it is working or this or that or why you don't know what you're talking about or, you know, when, and I, you know, this has happened often when people roll out tools like ours and I've seen it firsthand with CultureAmp, when you start to put data to that, mm-hmm. I like, and I call it the Fitbit effect. You know, you can, you can believe you're getting your steps and you can do all that stuff and you can be like, no, I'm fine, but slap, slap a, a tracker on your wrist and then say, are you getting your steps? Mm-hmm. Something shifts. And if you're not, if you're really only walking 6,000 a day, you know, it's amazing how behavioral change and no one had to, no one had to push anybody. All they had to do was get that, that metric on. Mm-hmm. So where I'm going with that is how are you... If you're really doing this at scale, to your question, if you're somebody that's like going to organizations and trying to support that, 
how are you leveraging data to tell these stories? And I think that's where the miss is. Oftentimes, you know, I had, I worked with a very large company that most of you would know. And she said to me, you know, this is the head of HR. And she said, for years, I've been saying the same things to our executive team. And, you know, they listen, but it never makes it onto our annual kind of objectives. And she mm-hmm. said, we rolled out CultureAmp. And I went back and said the same thing, but backed it with some data, mm-hmm. which is important because she might have found that she was off too. And that's important. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you, you, you know, what you think when you have data doesn't always line up. When she said she went back to the leadership that following year and, and kind of made the same case, but she brought in some data from the, 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 the survey they had run, that two of those initiatives made it onto their annual objectives. And so I think if you're really trying to drive change, you know, organizations are very left-brained, are what they do want some data. So if you can merge the data with the story, mm-hmm. it's pretty powerful. And so I'd ask, then I'd say, how are you, how are you making that case in a business way? And what are you doing? Are you using any sort of tool to gauge, you know, I'll give you a, just a quick example too of how that works. Like in one our tool, we can do this, we can pull heat maps. So you can look across different demographics. One of the biggest drivers of engagement consistently is this idea of open and honest communications, right? Mm-hmm. If when you ask that question, you go look across levels. So let's say executive level seven, and then you have, you know, your VPs and then you're, it's typically really high. That group reports really high on the yeah. ability to, but I'll have to look, go look at level three and level four. Oftentimes there's a massive disconnect. And when a group of executives sits in a room together and believes that collectively, that's the story. When you can pull up some data and say, okay, I get you believe that. Let me just show you the data. This isn't me, Culture Craig coming in and tell you, like, this <laughs> is data. You're 20 points off the average of what your people think. There's not much more work that needs to happen. They're going to go home that night and sit with that. They're going to think mm-hmm. about that. So that's the idea of like you leveraging data to start to highlight some of these things for people and get, you know, and to reach out to somebody that can help you with that. I love that. And Jonathan said something along those lines last night too, when he was talking about that they use CultureAmp and they had it, they bought it, they purchased it, but he didn't know. They weren't utilizing it to the full capacity. And then when Johanna, their VP of people and culture came on, she was like, hey, you have to use this. <laughs> and that way you can actually utilize the information. And what, what I also caught in that, what, he, what she helped them do was take that information and have conversations. So I think it was they, they were scrappy and running this business and getting going and it was a little overwhelming. When Johanna came in there and said, oh, you got this tool. Look, I can help you distill it down. Like, and then what she did was she, I think she offered the data to help them have conversations and that reflection and then they saw the imperative. No one was like talking them into it. They were using substantive data to really be critical about their organization and what they wanted to build. And I think that's what Joanna really helped was to use that data to start support conversations. And she knew how to do that. And that was really amazing. Yeah. Which goes to show that, yes, you have the data, you have the tools, but that person that kind of has the ownership of the culture is really important. I feel like it's the last role that companies fill yep. and the first role that they get rid of, yep. but it shouldn't be that way, right? You have a director of sales, you have a director of marketing, you have those teams covered, but you really yeah, don't you have You say your anybody. people are important and that's the first thing, you know, that's yeah. what I've said, you know, I've seen some companies that when there's a downturn now and they're like cutting, it's like, so you've just laid off people and now you're cutting your listening initiative. What signal are you sending? Yeah. You know, where does that really, talk about how we do things around here and like, what does that send the signal? Um, but I also think it highlights one other thing that there's no software that can solve this. And yeah. I think that's what Johannic brought the human to help them understand it. Like even CultureAmp, it's a, it's a tool and it's only as good as the people and the intention. I think it's, it's designed really well to help leaders and organizations make sense of this. But I've also seen people take advantage and use it the wrong way. So software is software. It's mm-hmm. the humans and the, the philosophy and how you approach it. So Yeah, for sure. The last question that I have for you before we wrap up, and Daryl turns us off mm-hmm. of... <laughs> podcast in live. 
Do you see any trends that are coming right now? Like, what are some of the trends that you see in this space of culture with companies? I mean, I think I think they're the obvious trends, right? There, there are the organizations trying to rethink, like, what does this look like now? What mm-hmm. is it? What is hybrid? What is it? What is it? You know, and those are questions that are going to continue to be answered, you know. And I think that that honestly, we're really coming out of of, of something that's was pretty intense, and we had to be responsive. So I think there's this movement right now of moving from reactivity, and it's time to shift back to being intentional and proactive, you know. And I think that was just by design. But, you know, I've thought about this question a lot and I've heard different perspectives, but, you know, somebody asked me that a while back internally and, and I, what came up for me was the symbol, the question mark is the trend. And I say that because mm. I think for all of us, look, what I, what I noticed prior to the pandemic was the game, particularly among senior leaders, was like, somebody has done this. How do I find the person that's done this so I can get the playbook to do it at my company? We're scaling, we're doing this, we're shrinking. There's no playbook anymore for any of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's letting go and it's that idea of the question mark and realizing you're only, like, it's going to take this entire, like, who, again, who's your community of practitioners? Are you in contact often? If you're trying to do this alone and we're moving into a place of rebuilding everything, rethinking everything, you know, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic was, like, inertia is a very powerful force. And it's not often that the handbrake gets pulled on inertia, but it did. And so for all of us that have been thinking about changing the workplace, talked about the future of work, like, it's now. It's here. Mm-hmm. So... Everything has to be rewritten and rescripted. So the trend is stay open to possibility. The trend is who's your network of practitioners? Where are you learning? Where are you processing? Because there's no, don't go look for the answer. I mean, it's typically not, there's no one answer just now. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a big trend. And I think all of the, I mean, Josh Burson just released his trends for 2023. They're all around connection, communication. I mean, I mean, Mm -hmm. and I followed Josh Burson for many years and not has not always been that way. You know, five years ago, it looked a lot more like you'd imagine. So all these things like emotional intelligence, how are we supporting our managers and leaders to be better? It's one thing to say we stand for that, but are we training our managers and leaders to do that, especially in a world where everybody's distributed and we're working with people across different time zones and regions? So I think it's a continual lean into this idea of the emotional intelligence and how do we develop leaders that aren't just there to, to drive numbers, but are there to like develop humans. Mm-hmm. And in a nutshell, it's all a work in progress. It's all a work in progress. <laughs> there's, there's no playbook. There's no, you know, we were talking football earlier. There's no, you know, going back and seeing this play worked because it's going to be different for every company and every location. And so I think leaning into the tools, the people, the resources that are out there is how we're going to do this and how we're going to Yeah. And I, I hope, I mean, I also want to say this community thing, it's I think we have a real opportunity to drive, like I said before, like the stuff we sat around and talked about, like this mm-hmm. is the moment. So if you've been inspired or thought about different organizational structures or different ways to do things or how it could be, like this will eventually solidify and move into its next iteration. So like, I just, it's like, that's also the call for finding communities. We support one another to build the kind of world that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Like now it's time to put it into action, which is yeah. a big value again in our communities is, you know, put learning into action. Yeah, it's action time for sure. Craig, thank you. You're welcome. I am so excited. I get to spend multiple days with you with the event, the podcast. Um, I'm so excited that you got to come out and be part of all of this live Super as inspiring. well. It's been and so in inspiring person. to me also. Um, I love this. And I'll be on a I'll be on Cloud Nine for a while with all of this, with the podcast and the event mm. and everything. So so thank you. And then to everybody else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. As you know, on this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding highlighting businesses that are doing great things with culture, but also bringing in the resources so folks know that there's a support system out there for them 
to find the right resources to improve their company culture. Culture Crush is your hub for company culture resources. And then we share with you all of the other experts that are out there to help. So thank you again for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>